You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM and we are on rr365.co.uk. Uh, Facebook Live at Radio Ramadan uh, is our handle. Uh, wherever you are, assalamu alaikum to you uh, and we welcome you to Reflections. Uh, this is, alhamdulillah, 13th consecutive year between um, Sheikh Rizwan and I that we're bringing you Reflections and 25 odd years of Radio Ramadan and be as always, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us to bring you this um, uh, broadcast every year in the month of Ramadan. And what's been special for me, and I'm sure for most of the listeners, is uh, a renewed way of interacting with our faith through the love of Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and knowing ourselves, our deen, by knowing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, and, and I must say that knowing prophets, his love, his personality is the means for us to bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this concept, I must confess, has been refreshing and new for me. And I'm sure it is for many, many listeners uh, who may have renewed their way of interaction with the faith they were born into or they have adopted this faith. Uh, Salaam alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ahlan wa sahlan. Ahlan wa sahlan. Sheikh, Surah Anbiya. And I was listening to uh, some of the Urdu commentary of Surah Anbiya uh, today. Um, and and uh, skimmed over some of the ayahs. Um, not, I must say that there are so many different dimensions to the understanding of the Surambia. Uh, very simplistic, some of them, uh, and others. Uh, the, the, uh, um, okay, the the way we have covered Surambia is entire is quite different. Um, in, in a way of we haven't emphasized on why the name Ambiya. Mm-hmm. So far, that connection has not been made. Whereas everybody else that I've listened to, and I haven't listened to many of them, about three, uh, and today was the first day I had some time and I kind of went through just to see what others are saying about Surah Ambiya. But everyone mm-hmm. tries to make a connection with the name Ambiya. Mm-hmm. And in the later parts, I think probably it becomes more and more obvious. Up to now, there isn't a connection so far. Mm-hmm. Any any particular reason uh, or kind of going back into the background of how these names appear and how are we supposed to understand the surahs with the names given? Mm-hmm. So that's a very good point because um, a chapter is usually named by something that's stand out in terms of its mention or its or its relevance to the chapter itself. So this is a surah, as you know, is it's a collection of something. So a surah essentially is something that um, fences off. You know, in Arabic you say fences off something. So you know, the poet says, "Alam tara anna Allah suratan tara malakin So he was praising a very famous king. So this point was praising a king and he said, do you not see that Allah has given you such a high surah? Surah is like this high, enclosed, fenced-off position, like protected. So a surah is something that collects lots of different things. And so in the Qur'an, you know, the chapter will contain numerous topics, numerous dimensions, numerous issues um, in terms of time, past, present, future. It will have prophecies, it will have mention of laws, it will have so many different things. This surah by nature collects different aspects of revelation. And it goes without saying the larger the surah, the usually the more complex the construction of that is in terms of topics. Exceptions to that are the things like Surah Yusuf, for example. Surah Yusuf is um essentially a bit Surah Yusuf. I mean, I mean the Prophet Yusuf Ali some with introduction and and outro. So an outro is the general um 
you would say the chapter finishes with general themes and general um, reminders about what we can take from the chapter itself. So that's very unique. Um, so Surat al-Kahf we talked about last last year um, mm. takes this name from one instance, and and you have to then in some way connect the Kahf, which is a cave, to something that is running right through the chapter, which something is difficult. But you know, last year we did do that. Um, Surat al-Baqarah, for example, is the, the the chapter named the cattle or the cow, and it specifically relates to the episode with Bani Israel where they you know, questioned the nature of the calf that they had to slaughter. So the Baqarah became like the story, uh, Surah Fil, the elephant, Li'ila fi Quraysh. You know, all these all these chapters have relationship to Quraysh, to elephants, to cows, and Nahal, which is the bee. They all um, take their name from one specific thing. So it's a mistake to say that the name is given because there's some secret thread necessarily flowing through everything mm. in the chapter. Do you understand? Now, having said that, you know, my mind is on the fact that there is a very spe specific um, thread that's running through this whole chapter, which is to do with, and in fact, I started off with that. If you remember it, um, the first session, I talked about, um, you know, the message or the, the information about the coming judgment and the coming um, recompense and Hisab is something that's unseen for us, but it's also obvious, it's logically obvious, rationally necessary. But a person comes to us with that knowledge, which is a Nabi. So Anbiya is the plural of Nabi. Nabi is a person who is, um, you know, in terms of etymology, Imam Tahanawi in his um, Kashf Istilahat, massive dictionary on technical terms, he says there's three different um meaning patterns in the words Nabi. One is um, Naba as the Quran says, what the news, what are they asking about the great news, the great information. So information is something that the prophets come with, which is unseen. So this is why prophets are called prophets, essentially. The other one is he says it's from Nabi, which is which is to do with a pathway or a tariqah, which is essentially they come and t tell you how to gain guidance, this is the direction you need to go in your life. So they get to tell you things that you probably don't know about. And that's why you have life coaches. For example, a life coach, you know, people spend a lot of money nowadays. If they want to progress in their life, they think a life coach will give me a shortcut to something it'll take me five years to find out. He will or she will give me it in a week. You understand? So essentially you can pay, I don't know how this works, but it's thousands of pounds for a seminar or something like that. And you're probably thinking that's pretty ridiculous. Unless you understand the cost benefit, which is you could take two years or three years or 10 years or never learn the lesson that that person has learned and the shortcuts to get to where you want to get to. You basically save five or six years of your life just by attending one thing or so the, the, the kind of the hype goes. Now, Nabi is a person who shows you the path. And also, um, Nabawa, Nabawa is also with, with Harf Illa, which is the wow, um, which means a peak or a the tip of something. So if you think of um, human beings, Bashar, Insan, Bani Bashar, Bani Adam, then you have different types, qualities, characteristics, um, superiority and then you have this pinnacle coming up towards a Nabawa Nabawa is like a peak like the Himalayas like K2 mm. for example these are considered to be the pinnacles of something and so prophets are by nature pinnacles and so this chapter is going to discuss Anbiya which are, incorporates these three um, these three kind of tributaries of meaning you know of information of of showing a pathway and having an ex excellent character. That is essentially what's being talked about. And if you think about it, the, the chapter essentially is just talking about the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the hisab, and also the people that brought that message, which is the anbiya. Now, the reason why it's given the name anbiya is because a certain section towards the middle end, there's a, there's a, there's a spread of the chapter which really just focuses on one story of the Prophet after another very, very quickly in quick succession. Mm. And until you get to that 
that um, you know that kind of um, it's like this crevice where you know everything now is open. There's lots of different discussions going on, and we're going towards a juncture where it will all of a sudden come to a very tight place. And at that point, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentioned prophets one after another with such amazing um, lessons from each one's life, like a sim simple takeaway message that is almost overwhelming for the person that's listening. That this is the chapter that all is talking about so many different things indirectly, and then all of a sudden you have the conclave of the mention of really important prophets with very, very important life messages. Hmm. So what's the most important thing of the Prophet Ibrahim, of the Prophet Noah, of the Prophet Lot, of the Prophet Ayyub? I mean, if you think of, I mean, when we come to you, we'll talk about it, but if you think of the biggest questions that human beings have ever faced, and if you think of the prophets, Every prophet had different things that they came with. Lots of different things you could talk about. But if you wanted to get to the core issue of each prophet, like the prophet Ayyub, or the prophet Ibrahim, or the prophet Dhunun, Yunus, or it's going to be in this chapter. That's what I think. But how is it related to everything else? The whole point is that it's building a defense of prophecy and prophets throughout the chapter. By the fact that this information in the, in the Quran that Allah has given the Prophet is so special it can only be from a person who's inspired. And the other thing is that, you know, there's information in this that we can never from our own intellects come to, which last um, yesterday we talked about. Did the people that disbelieve not see that the heavens and the earth were like one congealed mass? And then we ruptured them. Hmm. I mean, to this day, I mean, think about it. That verse, it, it makes some sense, but it cannot make total sense to the Arabs at the time. These have taken face value. But you can imagine if you take your if you take a step back and you've ever been in the desert, and you look at this the skies when they're they're just expansive. You're thinking at some point, you know, like it's a, actually, it's a very interesting thing. You you have a, 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 a I mean, a, a, imagine I have a glass of sand, for example. It's in one, and I drop it; it just scatters everywhere. The human mind will always say, at some point, they must have been gathered. Hmm. You know, if you have marbles, for example, a handful of marbles. Yeah, yeah. Anything that's scattered at one point must be gathered. Yeah, because it's from one origin. Origin. That's a prime. That's a that's like a child. Child, a child will tell you that if they see marbles, they will think at some point they were in in, in a collection, a bag, or something. You know, and um, ice cream in an ice cream box, for example. Do you understand? So there's a source to that. So if you look at the light in the skies, I mean the celestial sky, the 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 primitive mind still says that light comes from an original source. Like I mean, I was looking at the the new the, the kind of full moon today. Here in Istanbul, it's massive. So my my daughter just ran to the window and said, "Look, Dad, the the, the moon." I didn't notice it, but it was like massive. Yeah. That's just one source of light in the celestial bodies. Light essentially is the same thing; it's the same source. So there must be one source of light, and so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala plays on that and says, "Did the disbelievers not see that the heavens and the earth were like one um, collected mass? And the mass must have been if you if at night you see it, it must have been light." Of some and, we sort. From, and we know from science that the, the, there was one piece of matter which kind of no, well they, they don't see this much because they can't because what they will say there is there was um singularity so the word they use is not a, a word that's used for uh, matter singularity is a as a concept so at the beginning there was singularity what's that in, in in urdu i don't know how you translate that but singularity is wahdaniya wahdaniya yeah we, 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 like we, this abstract simplicity and then scientists say well after that straight away there was um what they would call plasma in fact not even matter not atoms not not some kind of cosmic energy and then after that they just say look there's most of it's dark matter hmm. and so the, what the quran says is like a, a blueprint for any analysis that will ever take place in cosmology until cosmology ceases to exist because the world ceases to exist. Hmm. And so then you're left with the fact that, well, I think there's probably information from the unseen coming here from a prophet. So it's a, it's a chapter of the prophets. Ambiya.
So Surah Anbiya, 21st Surah of Quran, uh, time just... And it actually just came to me now as well. The fact yeah. that you're saying Anbiya, it's the Prophet who's bringing it. It's, the Prophet is also, in a sense, raising up all the Prophets, despite the fact that he's doing the heavy lifting. You know, like somebody does all the work and then they do do shamil kar lete hain. Yeah, yeah, they give credit. Team. You know, so it's it's the Prophet Sallallahu but he's saying it Anbiya. Mm, it's such a beautiful okay. thing. That's the karam of the Prophet Sallallahu that you know, in that nature of his expansiveness, that he's the one with the the message of the Quran, which is so expansive, that he's saying it's you know he's telling us about the other prophets. And it's part of the wisdom of the, the, of the Quran that the Prophet is the receptacle of that. Hmm. Yeah, Subhanallah. <clears throat> फैसल भाई आप कैमरे के पीछे हैं मैं आप ही से बात कर लेता हूं कि जो समझ आया वो ये कि नबी नबी अकरम सल्लल्लाहु अलैहि वसल्लम की जिंदगी को समझने के लिए ये जरूरी है कि रोजाना एक नई बात समझ आती है रोजाना एक नई बात समझ आती और जो बात ये समझ आई यू नो जो मैनेजमेंट के गुरु हैं ये टीम वर्क और लोगों को शाबाश देने का तरीके सिखाते हैं कि ऐसे लेके चलो साथ ऐसे लेके चलो साथ लेकिन जो आज बात समझ में आई कि नबी करीम सल्लल्लाहु अलैहि वसल्लम ने वो काम जो खुद तन्हा किया अल्लाह की मदद से और अल्लाह के इज्न से उसमें भी तमाम अंबिया को शामिल कर लिया और खुदा की शान देखिए कि उसने अपने इस सूरत का नाम अंबिया रख दिया अगर इस सूरत का नाम नबी मोहम्मद भी रख देते तो काफी होता लेकिन सूरत का नाम रख दिया सूरतुल अंबिया काम खुद करके दूसरों को शाबाश देना यह नबी की सुन्नत है यह बात अब इसकी अंग्रेजी क्या होगी मैं तो नहीं कर सकता सूरा अंबिया इज व्हाट्स अंडर डिस्कशन एंड व्हाट अ ब्यूटीफुल थिंग टू रिफ्लेक्ट अपॉन that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he is the one who brings the news, who brings the warning, who is Bashir, who is Nazir, who is Sirajum Munir, and um, yeah, yet he is mocked, and Prophet Sallallahu has been um, told in this surah, uh, do not worry, because Prophets before you, prior to you, were also mocked. It's nothing new that's been done. Uh, and then, uh, in this surah, that we what we hear is that the mocking of the prophet and the mocking of the message of the prophet is something that's been done over over the ages, over the years, by humans. Um, and this was done to its max with Prophet and yet with his salam's perseverance and the companions, uh, we got this message and we are here as the followers of Prophet Today's ayahs uh, from 31 to 35, we will hear these ayahs and get some commentary from Sheikh Rizwan. In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. And we placed within the earth firmly set mountains, lest it should shift with them. और सूरज और चांद को पैदा किया सब एक एक फलक ने तैर रहे हैं और ए मोहम्मद सल्लल्लाहु अलैहि वसल्लम हमेशगी तो हमने तुमसे पहले भी किसी इंसान के लिए नहीं रखी अगर तुम मर गए तो क्या ये लोग हमेशा जीते रहेंगे हर जानदार को मौत का मजा चखना है कुल्लु नफ्सिन दाइकतुल मौत और हम अच्छे और बुरे हालात में डालकर तुम सबको आजमाइश कर रहे हैं आखिरकार तुम्हें तुम्हें हमारी ही तरफ पलटना है सदक अल्लाहुल अजीम सो ये हैं आज की पांच आयत 
بہت سا مواد بہت سی چیزیں جو انشاءاللہ ہم شیخ سے پوچھیں گے اور اس میں آپ کے سامنے اس کی تشریح رکھیں گے شیخ دیز فائیو آئے سے دے Yeah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So this, um, I think you've done from verse 31. So this is a continuation from yesterday, which is um, the proposition that is given by the Qur'an about the, the origins of the, of the cosmos, the heavens and the earth and the celestial bodies. And then it's, it turns from what is in the heavens and in beyond time, beyond space and beyond matter. which is what we kind of looked at yesterday and the beginning of time, beginning of space, it comes down to discussion on what we can actually see because it's interesting contrast here between the disbelievers being asked, did they not see something which is so difficult to see? So it's not as if anyone was there um, to witness the beginning of the heavens and the earth. Nobody was there. But the Quran says, did the disbelievers not see that the, that the heavens and the earth were one congealed matter when it's impossible to see it? And then it moves from that to telling them about certain things that they can see definitely because they can experience them. And so amongst that is And we have placed within or set within the, 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 the earth which are like pegs. Hmm. So what's interesting about the Quran here is again, it's giving you um, expressions and ideas which don't correlate with anything people knew about at the time so Rawasi here is generally understood to be mountains and mountain ranges so we have placed within or, or, or set up within the within the earth Rawasi which are mountain ranges or pegs literally pegs you know a peg is if you, if you haven't been, been um, um, you know kind of tenting or you know in the wilderness you've set up a tent you've got pegs that you know pull the strings to set up the the tent itself And they go in, if you think about it, the majority of it is in the ground. And it's a small amount, just a small piece that comes up over the top where you tie up everything. So what the image is of something that you see at the top and underneath it is, is a substantial larger piece to help everything set as it is. And so what does Allah say? He says, Antamida bihim. Antamida bihim literally means to so that they do not run away or they do not... They do not um, move and there was something that stabilizes the mountain <clears throat> the ranges which is something in them which goes deep down and and i you know in my first year at university i studied um, life sciences and geology and paleology and all these things so i was bored to death with all this information about um, you know uh, mountain structures and and you know the kind of different types of rocks and volcanic and 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 and, and one of the things we kind of did look at is mountain ranges and tectonic activity and i remember from that time they used to you know the kind of rule of thumb was that if you have a mountain range you have at least i think six times the size of this the the, the, the actual the height pin peak from sea level underneath the earth's crust so it's not that the whole the earth crust is like that essentially what you have at the top will be mirrored by something six or seven times deeper down down below Why? That's basically what they said. So it, it's to create some kind of stability for that weight that's above the earth so that it doesn't just buckle. And so such can, a, can I just pause you there for, for a minute about this? There's a lot of mention of mountains in Quran. Mm. What is it in the mountains that makes it so special that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given examples of mountains in various different ways uh, to, to kind of suggest different things? Sometimes for uh, to, to, to see how big they are as, as mass or, I mean, in my last 10 years, I've just tried to explore mountains. Mm, I've just tried to go, go, go on top of mountains. The people who've been going with me, you see something, there is a certain type of person that goes up a mountain, right? And they mm. keep going. And when they keep going up and coming back from the mountains, they, they, there is something that happens in your neurons. The, the, the mm. neurology becomes different. But I haven't, is there something in... theology if there is something in, in in this world of knowledge that suggests why these structures are so important 
So I don't know if there's any studies done on on on, on the brain and neuroplasticity and the effect of going coming down a mountain. Um, oh, going up, and, going up a mountain. Going up, you know, the whole point is you come down with something. So in terms of um, mythology, you do have this idea of the hero of 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 a saga going into the wilderness and then coming back with wisdom. So there's always this has always been association with going somewhere. Like the Prophet went in Ghari Hira, for example, that was a, 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 an act which was him, he himself in Sahih Bukhari mentioned. Um, in fact, Aisha mentioned it uh, as a description of what the Prophet used to do, which is to worship and to go into the seclusion. And essentially, you know, a type of etikaf um, before etikaf was, a, a, you know, a kind of established thing. When you come down, you come down with a different reflection of where the, where people are because they're not seeing something that you've seen and and what is it it's it's almost like a, there's a metaphor for these massive structures that we see that indicates that however great and mad, majestic they are there must be something behind them them being set up in the way they're set up mm. so it's almost like you know these mountain ranges are you feel like a a, a drop in the haystack a needle yeah. in the haystack. But when you think of it and you know that these are essentially themselves drops in an ocean of the world's crust, which which are insignificant. True. And then you're just thinking, then how does all of this fit into how they come to being and how they're brought into existence? And you have that aspect, which is the humility and the natural wonders, despite the enormity of the size. But you also have, you know, and, and, and they, they, they outdo each other, each other. One peak outdoes the other. Yeah, know, so in, when, and each peak has its own qualities. Like you'll know yeah. that it's not the biggest peak that is the most no. endearing. It's the one with the. It depends on how it faces the sun and the sunset, Absolutely. and then the underlying land, and then the the approach to it, which is hidden. You know, if you have a a hidden approach, which all of a sudden opens up to this amazing vista that you see. That takes your breath away more than one that you can see everything, you know, while you're arriving, and then all of a sudden, you don't, when you get there, you're just saying, "I've seen it already." And so, one aspect is this wonder and this, um, this, yes, yeah, Subhanallah. But the other aspect is that there's always a metaphor of mountains as um, great beings themselves. The Prophet used to, you know, see about Uhud. Yeah, Uhud is a, a mountain that that loves and loves us and we love it. Hmm. It's almost as if Uhud was a person. And the well, Prophet yeah. spoke to, and, you know, the Prophet spoke to Uhud and says, because it shook with a quake, and the Prophet said, Be calm because upon you is a prophet and two martyrs. And so, you know, the, the mountains have some kind of significance in our in our kind of religious, you know, kind of mythology that we have a kind of uh, a kind of cosmology that we have but also this, this aspect of this majesty and this grandeur and this strength which comes up in um you know in, in poetry so you know um i think it was um Saif Dawla, i think it was passed away and one of the poets wrote about him uh, so obviously this person's passed away a very famous commander and um, so when they're picking up the body on, on, the, on the shoulders of people, he says, Ma kuntu qabla an ara. He said, I never thought before I saw your body upon the shoulders of people that I saw radwa ala aidi rijali yasiru. Radwa is, this, you know, Uhud is small compared to radwa. Radwa is behind the mountain of Uhud. If you mm. think Uhud's big, radwa is this famous mountain range in, you know, northern Medina Nawara. Which just by the size of it, you just think it's majestic, enormous, and unrivaled. And so he compared this commander with the mountain of Radwa. He thought, I never would have thought before I saw your body upon the shoulders of men that the mount of Radwa could be carried upon the shoulders of people. So it's like, you know, you know, we talk about, you know, you know, on the shoulders of giants, you know, on 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 the shoulders of Giants, meaning mountains. You know, we talk about the person as being a mountain. So they are just, you know, they're just like, 
yeah, I'm sure there's a there's a book actually. Peter Sanders he took fo- fo- uh, photographs of some some of the most important scholars of the last century, and this century up until this time, and he called it something along the lines of you know mountains, and some plays upon mountains. I can't remember exactly what it is, but the point is he compared these people that were humble and feeble, and um, you know, you know, self-effacing, but he compared them as being mountains in their own right. And it's only when you meet them that you realize that. When you meet somebody who's like that, you realize it's a mountain in front of you. And so the Quran talks about that here. So the metaphor, you can stretch it. I mean, in in, in tafsir, you do have this idea that the concept can be extrapolated, that the world is stabilized by these human beings who are mountains as well. So this is also one of the aspects of, you know, al-anbiya. The anbiya are like these mountains that stop the, the the rest of humanity, which is the rest of the land, which is plain and flat, from diverging from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So literal thing would be to say there are mountains that, that stop the earth moving um, in a destructive way in certain places. But the other aspect is that human beings as prophets are also comparable to, as a metaphor, an analogy to prophets as well. But she yeah. This is um, actually where you're going with it. Uh, this eye is going there as well and those mountains if you see there are people mm-hmm. and within them are passes roads that they might be guided yeah yeah I was going to come to that mm-hmm. and within them you have these crevices and 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 pathways that are taken as pathways so yeah. it's from the mountains that essentially you create the the areas where you can have a pathway and and a, a road and and a, and, a, and a stretch of, um, you know, kind of, oh, so you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that the prophets, the prophets between them, they indicate to you the path that you need to go through. But you cannot, you know, if you travel somewhere, you know, nobody goes over the mountain, like in terms of to the top of the peak, unless it's, it's yourself climbing the mountain, coming back down. People... <laughs> Go through the mountains, and they are amazed by the mountains. Guys, if you're listening, uh, stop doing anything and just focus on what's been said and what's been said in this ayah, and how we have collectively reflected on this ayah. Uh, hmm, wow. Okay, different. Dubara Sheikh, Subhanallah. Mountains, structures, their enormity. And how they are pegs, and how they are a support, and you find humans which are as if they were mountains, and they hold the humanity, and Ambiya being some of them, mm. and within them they have pathways which act as a guide for people who are on these mountains or who are in awe with these mountains. Mm-hmm. And if Prophet was a mountain, and if we aren't in an awe with it, there's something wrong. Mm. Because when you are standing near a mountain, or just about to climb, you, you are instantly in an awe with that structure. Mm-hmm. And, and you start appreciating the, the enormity of it. And while you're on it, kind of on the path, uh, every step you take makes you feel nothing very humble yeah it makes you, you feel are. like nothing yes it makes you feel insignificant exactly. because it's one it's only once you compete with you know great my own experiences when i come into contact with some of my my most illustrious teachers it's that at that point you feel like the speck of span of sand under the under the sandals of these teachers that's when you it hits home that you really need to um, not just the, it's not nothing to be clever. It's nothing to do with even intelligence. It's to do with no. God-given knowledge and humility and practice of what they know. That is a big thing, you know, to know something and then to practice it, and to do it not for your own for your own sake, but for the sake of what you're you've learnt is is really humbling. And and then and then essentially for me, when I meet all these different teachers, it's like okay, I just need to get to where I want to get you. But they're the kind of they're the kind of, you know, they're the kind of navigating points that help mm. me get to where I want to get to. So in my mind is all these teachers saying, don't do this, don't do this, I advise you to do this. 
And then these kind of messages of their lives, even if they've passed away, what, what do I remember them by? There's certain qualities that I don't, sometimes I find difficult expressing. Um, you know, somebody asked me some, for some advice. I might say one or two things, but I can't explain to them that, that you sometimes or mostly or usually comes from my just living, lived experience of these teachers that I know that the answer I'm giving is because it's I'm navigating between these teachers to see what they would have told me to do. Yep, absolutely. Not like, oh, the Quran says this and the Sunnah says this. No. What I'm saying is that the Quran, as understood by these great people that were the inheritors of the Prophet, understood it and lived it. And so I understood and lived it based upon their living of it. And so their life so, is such an important thing. Yeah. Team Radio Ramadan, whoever's doing the podcast, chop this into pieces. And this is going to be the podcast of the year. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. Okay, Sheikh. Uh, next ayah. Yeah, but ja'alna as-sama' saqfan mahfooda. And we have created and set, set up. Again, ja'alna could be made or created. It can be set up. Um, this, the heaven. I mean, the sama' is here. Now is the lower heaven. It's not sama'wat. It's the sama' which is the lower heaven. As a saqfan mahfooda. As a, as, again, it's a, such a fascinating idea. It is described as a ceiling which is protected. So right away, I mean, you could take this a number of different ways. Why didn't the Quran not say, Babun uh, Maftuha? You know, if the Quran said it was an open door to, you would have difficulty in explaining it from one perspective because people will say, no, it's not. It's kind of, there's layers and the, and the layers have functions. The Quran says, it's a, it's a ceiling. But when you look at it, it doesn't look like a ceiling. It just looks like it's open. The Quran is going against what people thought. So the logical thing would be to say that the, 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 the heaven is an open door mm. and you can just see into distance. And everyone at the time would say, yeah, we all know that. But to say saqfan mahfouda, which is to say a ceiling, they would say there's no ceiling here. It just like it keeps going and going. And protected, protecting from what? And what we know now is that's the whole function of the lower heaven, the atmosphere within which we live. Which the, is the, it protects the o o ozone layer? The ozone layer is part of the whole structure. You know, the ozone layer is a protective part, saving us from UV um, rays from from outer atmosphere. But the whole aspect is that 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 layer keeps in a certain amount of heat, and it protects us from certain types of radiation, like UV radiation. So it's almost like filtering certain things to come in, which is heat which we need to live, but protecting it from certain aspects of what's coming in, which is like UV light. And then what it does is it, it traps certain types of heat from going back out because if it went back out, life wouldn't be possible on earth. And so it's like this protective ceiling. It's not like a, a closed ceiling. It's a protective, some kind of, it's some kind of very complicated. And the mahfud is like this, it gives an idea of not just a one-way thing, which is just blocked like glass. It's yeah. this idea of, it's almost as if it's protected, it's protecting. It's almost like the womb. You know, the womb, it obviously protects, but it also allows certain things in and out in terms mm. of nutrients. So it's not completely cut off from the outside. And so that's something, you know, the, the well, modern mind. Some, some kind of membrane. Some kind of, yeah, exactly. Some kind of um, ethereal uh, membrane that we have and while at the same time these people that disbelieve are, you know, again turning away, you know, again this idea of of, of, of with disregard turning away from its signs, the signs that are in these things that we have, and then Allah SWT says, It is He and He alone who has created the light, the the night and the day. Again, these are things that we see. So coming closer to what we know is night and day. That's how we live our lives. And created the sun and the, earth and the moon. Again, these are things that we interact with every single day. It doesn't mention Mercury, Mars, Uranus, because we don't interact with them at all in any plausible sense. But the moon, absolutely. We know that has connections to the way that we psychologically operate during the, during the year and during the month. The shams, absolutely. That's how we harvest our crops. That's how we you know, plan for winter and, and summer. Every single thing, not, not just the sun and the moon, but also 
the night and the day, are swimming within their own predetermined system or orbit. Orbit. Falakin is like, it's an orbit. But it also means some kind of system that they have. Some measurable, decipherable system. You, there, 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 is a pro, there is a process that's already been kind of constructed mm. and everything follow, follows a process. Yeah, but, but the thing interesting here is the word that's used is yasbahun is like this kind of process of swimming. And that's exactly how, you know, given what we know about matter in this in, in the outer atmosphere, that's exactly the thing that they can discuss because they say that it's not it's not a vacuum. So space is not a vacuum. People think it's a vacuum. It's not a vacuum. And so how they describe it is essentially as some kind of system where these bodies are swimming in an orbit. And and so every the, the interesting about this is that you know this was the this was the this was the reason why Muslim scholars then started to take um, astronomy so seriously. Um, first of all, they had to establish the times of the prayer, so they had to study the sun, and then they had to establish the beginning of the month, so they had to study the moon. And so this, the movements of the sun and the moon, and then therefore the movement of celestial bodies became an active aspect of Muslim study for scholars of religious law as well. And so where did that come from? It just came from you know almost like an, an indirect mention of that in the Quran, of telling us that every single thing is in its set place, in a set time, studyable, measurable, analyzable, and essentially of benefit to you. And so when you study it, you find that there's benefits. So, you know, people going to Mars now, it comes from the fact that at some point people thought we could study this and extrapolate averages and statistical um, models that we could then use for our benefit. And that's exactly what, you know, the Qur'an at that point was indicating, you know, so clearly that there's some kind of system that you just need to put your head to it. And it's not just wondrous, it's not just wow. It's also that you can also study this and you can also find that there's hidden behind this is an intricate system of complete, you know, complete and absolute subservience to rules which are God-given. 8.20, Surah Anbiya, 31st to 35th ayah, the first set of these ayahs today, um, a very different topic of trying to understand through Qur'an uh, the universe we live in, uh, the, the whole aspect of pondering, reflecting on what's around us to find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. Um, the journey that we are on, uh, of, of trying to find an answer from Man Rabbuka, who's your God. And we find the answer to this through the signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us and which are all around us. A short ad break. Uh, and then we'll be right back. Reflections with Sheikh Razan Muhammad. Okay, so reflections with Sheikh Razan Muhammad. Uh, we try to play those ayahs again. But the, the ones which... Uh, we will continue with is number 33 and 34. Uh, and it is he who created the night and the day and the sun and the moon. All heavenly bodies in an orbit are in an orbit are swimming. And the next one, and we did not grant to any man before. Th this is the important one, the, the, the final part of the discussion. Number 34 and 35 here. Yeah, so this this verse, which is number 34, is um I mean if you reflect upon what's come what we just previously discussed, it's it's connected in some way to that because regardless of the the honor and the respect and the and the perpetuity of the prophets and their existence and their significance, it's not for any um, human being that they are um, eternal. Khuld is Khalid, which would have to say that it's something that is extensive and extended in its existence to the point of not ending. 
Allah says that we've not made it and, and, and assigned for any human being, Bashar, before you, that they are, you know, ever existent. And so this is, you know, with the acceptance of the Prophet as being the Prophet and his, you know, perfection in terms of human characteristics, there's this acceptance of the fact that he is still human. And that means that the natural process of biological, um, you know, coming to an end is naturally written for prophets as well. So Allah says, and if he, or sorry, if the prophet is being talk, spoken to you and says, and if you pass away, will they then remain in perpetuity forever existent? Because it's almost as if you're saying that every single human will pass away. And if you pass away, O Muhammad, who would you expect, if anybody we would expect to remain ex extended in, in their life, it would be you. And if you pass away, then how can they then remain constant in their existence? So it's almost as if this is called Qiyas al-Awla. So it's like it's saying that, well, if you pass away, then what do you expect about the, all these other people? Included the prophets and including everybody else, and, and especially the people who are in opposition to the prophets, which are the, the, the Quraysh, who are disbelieving at every point. And so essentially it's just pointing at this very simple idea of every single, which is going to come up in the next verse, that every single soul by nature tastes death. It doesn't say dies. Dha'iqa is to taste, it's to experience, it's to um, also, you know, dha'iqa, you know, some things you'd eat and taste you don't like, some things you taste and eat you like. And, you know, for people, their experience of life and death, and specifically death, will be based upon how they live their life. So dha'iq means that there's going to be different... Sorry, 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 Sheikh. Can we repeat that? So people will taste death the way they've lived. Yes. Yeah, so you know, so your, your experience of death will be dha'iqa, dhawq. So if it was just that you die, everybody experiences the same type of death. The, you know, this is why, you know, Jaladi Rumi, when he passed away, they, they mark his, the day he passed away by um, Yawm al-Urs, which is the day of, of wedding. It's like it was considered to be the most pleasured, pleasurable day of his existence when he passed away. Because, you know, even Sayyidina Bilad radiallahu anhu, his, his wife was wailing at his side when he was on his deathbed and saying, oh, misfortune, oh, disaster. And, and he says, what disaster? Tomorrow I meet those that I love, Muhammad and his companions. And so he was he was laughing and she was crying. And so the at the point of death, everybody has this sakarat al-maut, which is the difficulties of death. Remember, these are the kind of these are the process, the moments just before death, but the actual the, the actual point of the ruh taking being being left is a dha'iqa, it's a dhawq, it's a taste. Mm -hmm. And God will not torture you or punish you if you've lived a life which is pleasuring God and being pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and God being pleased with you, that he would not humiliate you by having an untimely and painful death at the point of the, the, the actual soul leaving. So it will be, you know, from that point into the grave, waiting for your resurrection will be, you know, as, as Hadith in Sahih Muslim mentions that they will be shown their place in paradise and their and their grave essentially will be, um, you know, a, 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 a garden from the gardens of paradise. And for some she, people, so she has the, the opposite. The significance of saying to the Prophet that if you die, they will die. The, the Prophet who we know is Habibullah, is Safiullah, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the beloved, the intimate. Um, and w w what's the significance of this part where it's been said, if he dies, you will definitely die? It's not saying you will definitely die. It's saying, given that he will die, I mean, I don't know how the translation is like, because I'm just reading the Arabic. Um, and if he is to die, and he and means and he will die, do they then think that they will remain forever? It's like it's saying like if he's going to do if this is going to happen to him, what do you expect about yourself? And like, we did not remember any man remember the before whole point, you. Did. Remember this. This is the whole point of the hisab because remember they're saying there's no judgment, and the only way they can get away with that is is almost by saying. It's so distant 
because we're never going to die and you know and and death is so distant that we don't have to worry about the hisab allah is saying the most beloved of people to him will die and it's saying here and if he dies and he will die how do you then consider yourself to remain alive everybody will and that's why naturally when i said every everybody will taste death that's what's happening right after this in the verse because naturally that's what the meaning comes every single soul will taste death you cannot as people who disobey in god consider yourselves to be free from the the the, the reality of death so Shaykh, we, are, we, we, we are asked to remain productive we are asked to remain people who will always find their potential the best they can do in the life become useful people to themselves to others in society mm. uh, we are asked to be those beings who always have a purpose and if they don't find a purpose in their life the whole thing about us is to keep finding the purpose of life until you find the purpose uh, you you are striving for finding the purpose and once you found the purpose you're living a meaningful life mm. in all of that what is this set of what is these set of ayahs doing for me that reminder of oh prophet is going to die and if he's going to die all of you are going to die and and everyone will taste death mm -hmm. and we test you with evil and with good as trial and to us you will be returned because it's just answering that question of the fact that, that you اقترب للناس حسابهم وهم في غفلة معرضون that the, 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 the inevitable judgment of God is approaching fast and they are idly passing their time away in heedlessness now the thing that that will stop that heedlessness in, in its tracks is, is remembrance of death and the thing that will tell you that you will be brought and asked for your actions is death and so this, 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 these, these two verses essentially are the closest connection to the first verse in the chapter. Yeah. So if you were to do that, and then your mind is is your mind is actually waiting for these two verses after you've read the first verse, hmm. because between that is just an an, an expression of proofs and and evidences. And 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 um, arguments and um, engagement of discussion with the kuffar to get them to understand these two verses, which is that you know you can just cut to the chase as they say and say go straight to the conclusion, which is the judgment's coming. You're gonna die and you be in front of God, and this life is nothing but a situation where you're being tested by difficult difficulties and ease as a fitna, as a way of deciphering who's good and who's bad. For the hisab, you know, so you're going to return back to us for the hisab, which goes all the way back to the first verse. And so essentially, this is about accountability. And also hidden within that, you know, the kind of thing of there's a hisab, you're going to die, you'll be in front of God and you'll be after, asked to answer for your, for your actions, is the secret of you, what you said is, you know, finding our purpose and all the rest of it. You find the purpose in the context of challenges that you you face because finding is a challenge because you're saying mm. we find our purpose, we find our purpose in life, find our way in work or life or family. All of these are just tests. When ablukum bisharri wal khairi fitna, we test you, bala, we, we place burdens upon you mm -hmm. both by two things by difficulty. And we don't have a problem with that because we know difficulties are burdens. But also khair, also the fact that ease, happiness, um, is pleasure also is also a test. I understand وَنَبْلُكُمْ بِالشَّرِّ But I don't understand وَنَبْلُكُمْ khair. Ibtila is certain, is just a test, is just to check. Like no, if so you have you, a child... You, you, your journey is to find ease. And once you find ease... Mm -hmm. And you, you, your life is smooth and it's going like a breeze. Mm -hmm. And that's what else test. you want? No, that, that's oh, a test oh, oh. to see how you do it. Because if if I give my child, um, imagine there's three kid children in the in the room, and they're guests, and my son's there, for example, and I say, "Sinan, take this, 
and it's in the big, big bar of chocolate. You know, big bar of dairies, dairies. Um, he that's what he wants. That's what he'd love to have. And I'm going to watch him. I'm not going to say, can you please share with these friends that you have? I'm going to sit in the corner. And I'm going to watch. And for him, it's it's um, khair. It's, it's such is this the ultimate goodness chocolate, big chocolate bar, in the middle of a country where you can't get the his favorite chocolate. And then he has these um, guests. That's a ibtila. That's a test. Bil khair is you can't say it's not good, even though the blood glucose level is going to go up, obviously, and it's very dangerous to do that. But the point is, it's a fitna as well. Fitna in Arabic means to to check and test the the nature of an element. Like when you when you take out gold ore, which is the raw gold, you go through a process which is called smelting, which is in Arabic called fitna, which is to separate the ore from the gold. You know, get the real gold out. And so it doesn't really make any difference if it's a difficulty that you're putting a person through. Like, you know, you know they don't like what they're doing. It's also the same. In fact, it's probably more if they like what they're doing. That's a bigger fitna. Because think of the Surat Al-Kahf story of the people, the two gardens. Tangi, Faisal, I understand that the tangi in a person's life is not a reward. And the usra or the usra is not a reward. It's not a reward. Both are a reward. If you look at तो ये नहीं कह सकते कि खुदा की सजा है उस पे और किसी को कोई तकलीफ नहीं है वो बड़े अच्छे बंगले गाड़ी में रह रहा है और तमाम चीजें उसकी ठीक चल रही हैं लाइफ में दूसरों के देखने के लिए लेकिन ये नहीं कहा जा सकता कि ये इस वजह से है कि खुदा का इनाम है उस पे बल्कि दोनों ही इम्तिहान है ऐसा ही है शेख ऐसा ही in other words, at the end of it, we'll come and mark you, Hisab. You know, so it's this simple that, you know, all this is to convince you that you're going to come back. And don't worry if you're having a difficult or, difficult or easy life. That doesn't give you any clues on where you're going. It's to check how you rela- react to things. Paske, man. Paske. Say, yeah. Yeah, but that's, I mean... Because what's what's going to be fascinating here is this will this will uh, magnify itself when we talk about the stories of the prophets that are mentioned in the chapter, because some of the prophets would, went through, you know, like tectonic pressure, you know, like you you really are squeezing somebody to the ends of their ability to take it, like Ayub, for example, the prophet Ayub, in terms of his illnesses, the mm. known mm. in in the depths of the whale, psychologically. Um, under so much stress, you could think of it. Um, you know, Ayub as well, under so much personal stress, you know, physical stress. Um, the Prophet Ibrahim is under so much social stress and and um, oppression. Social, you know, you know, you call it political correctness at the time. All of these pressures were fitna for them. And you can't say because they're being tested that they're not close to God. In fact, our... our um, religious teachings say the opposite. The more you're tested, usually indicates that this is a test for goodness, a test to check what you're made of. So the Prophet said that the the closest people to the Prophet, the closest people to me are those that are like the prophets, and then those are those that are close, and those that are closer in terms of testing ibtila. So you know this is kind of a marker that we have. Uh, generally, that in our lives, that's how we kind of mark ourselves and see who we are. Can, can ibtila be the temptations you have around you? Ibtila is exactly the temptations you have around you. That is it. And how you react. Yeah, so good and good and evil. I mean, if you have, if you're in difficult financial straits and you and you and you feel the temptation to cut corners, then that's also a temptation. Of sorts, it's a test, and if you know, and and then if your failure, failure or 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 um, success, and that is based upon your choices at that point, and you know, everything around you is in some way a test. Everything is your risk. Everything is is set up exactly just for you, you know. So you know, we think of the fact that there's over seven billion people on the face of this earth. To be honest, 
the only person that's important is yourself because you're the only person that's thinking about your own salvation. You know, so everything else is just, a, you know, it's like a, a film set <laughs> for you. Stage, stage, stage. Stage set. Stage set. Drama and drama. Parda. Lights, <clears throat> camera, action. Yep. And how you act and react mm. and perform. It's about your performance, right? Yeah, so people perform all the time. This is it. So the story of, you know, one of my our, our, our great teachers, Abdul Karim Al-Mudarris, he was a mufti of Iraq. He was one of the most knowledgeable people of Iraq. He loved the, the Ahl al-Bayt. And, and it said that, you know, he went to the to the burial place of Abdul Qadir Jilani in Baghdad. So he's, he's Kurdish. He's actually, he was one of the first person that's trans, translated the Quran into Kurdish. Very pious, very well respected. And so when he arrived there, people were flocking around him. And there was a, there was a, a group of Sayyids there from the family of Prophet. And because of the honor of this, the Sheikh, he was in his late 90s. So one of the, the young men from the Ahlul Bayt is known. He, he went to, when he was leaving the, the mosque, he turned his shoes around so that the Sheikh wouldn't have to turn his shoes around. And Sheikh Abdul Karim Mudaris refused. He told his, his um, student to give them in charity. And his, his, his student said, but you, you're barefoot. And he says, he said that, you know, he said that on the day of judgment, Fatima will ask me, why did you allow my one of my offspring to fix your shoes? How can I answer her? Allah. He's given charity. Adab, 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 adab. So his bala was, his test was, his intense love for the Prophet was such that when he saw that happen, his mind was working in such a refined way that he's not thinking about now, oh, thank you, oh, you shouldn't do that. He's thinking of something that's a reality for him, which is he believes in the hereafter. He believes he had intense love for the Prophet and his family. He had such a connection to Fatima radiallahu anha in terms of his honoring of her and respect of her and awe of her that he thought that the, the relationship was so personal that she would speak to him and say, "How? why did you allow my one of my grandsons to, you know, basically humiliate one of my grandsons by by doing this and when he didn't you would say it's a service and you know these are the scholars of the ummah are like the prophets of the community but his his thinking was so refined so precise and refined and and so balanced that that's where he lived he started to cry and said i can't wear these shoes again subhanallah you know so ibtila so, is of different types of different people you know, we we, we're, we're, you know, we are, myself, we're in the ibtila of just the world, of just temptations, and these people are in ibtila of of obedience. So their, their, their ibtila is what type of obedience is given priority over which other type of obedience. And we're, we're in a situation where we're, we're, we're in, a, in, a, in a situation where we're selecting which disobedience do we decide not to do. Subhanallah, I mean Subhanallah So these are the mountains yeah. When you talk about mountains These are mountains um, I just think, yes Just stay in the crevices The cracks and yeah. crevices find, find find, a path That will lead to some kind of um, Peak of some sort Or resting place And shade And you are safe Because that's what the guide Is going to be within those mountains that you encounter. Very important concept in last few moments of everything around us is risk. And the choices we make to interact with this risk is our test. Um, and these two ayahs, وَمَا جَعَلْنَا لِبَشَرٍ مِّن قَبْلِكَ الْخُلْدِ أَفَإِن مِتَّا فَهُمُ الْخَالِدُونَ كل نفس ذائقة الموت ونبلوكم ونبلوكم بالشر والخير ونبلوكم بالشر والخير فتنة وإلينا ترجعون. Sheikh, if you can conclude with this second ayah, the the last ayah, thirty-five. Yeah, كل نفس ذائقة الموت. Every every soul, every nafs, everything that breathes. Nafs is from nafs, and nafs is from Breath, nafas is to do with your, your, your soul or your ego. Nafas also comes from breathing. Everything that breathes will stop breathing. You know, everything, you know that when we think of our life, you're thinking 
breathe in, breathe out. So you think of COVID, it's ca caused us to think about a respiratory tract and the health of just breathing. And can we breathe? Can we keep sustaining our lungs to breathe? Allah is saying everything that has this process of a living organism mechanism, which is essentially um, breathing in and out, is going to then also taste something which is going to be death. And because of that, you need to then think of your priorities and understand that Allah said that he will test you, each of and every one of you, through two things, which is good and evil, as a means of checking your status, fitnatan. And all that simply to be the reason, you know, simply said it's to do with the accountability that we have. If you try to return back to something, it means you have to face something. Mm. So in our mind, what do we, what do we think? We're going to die. We're going to be sent back to God. We'll be tested. And if we're turning back to him and we come to him, what is the function of that coming back unless God has something to ask us, mm. which is a hisab? So, you know, the chapter is Anbiya, but essentially one of the major themes of this is Al-Hisab. You know, if you had a parallel universe, you would have had the verse, you know, chapter called Al-Hisab. Hey, Muhammad, always we have not kept any person before you. If you die, then will these people always live? Every person has to eat the fun of death. और हम अच्छे और बुरे हालात में डालकर तुम सबको आजमाइश कर रहे हैं और हम अच्छे और बुरे हालात में डालकर तुम सबकी आजमाइश कर रहे हैं आखिरकार तुम्हें हमारी ही तरफ पलटना है सदक अल्लाहुल अजीम मुस्तफा जाने रहमत पे लाखों सलाम शमाए बज़मे हिदायत पे लाखों सलाम सलाम अलैकुम व रहमतुल्लाह अलैकुम सलाम व रहमतुल्लाह